Intentionally Grounded. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 83 features former Minnesota Golden Gopher running back, all-time leading rusher, and current radio analyst, Daryl Thompson. Daryl will talk to us about his career as a Golden Gopher, his transition to radio play-by-play, and also speak to us about his mentorship group, Boulder Options, and detail the importance of mentorship in our youth today. Season 4, Episode 5 of Intentionally Grounded with Daryl Thompson starts now. We're joined tonight by a Minnesota Golden Gopher legend, Daryl Thompson. Daryl, introduce yourself to our audience and, and share your background in football. Um, uh, Daryl Thompson, my name, uh, grew up in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and I was uh, we moved there when I was one years old from St. Louis, Missouri, where my dad was um, born and raised at, and um, you know, honored to be able to play football for John Marshall Rockets and then the University of Minnesota, and was uh, lucky enough to get drafted by the Green Bay Packers and um, be able to play professional football for about five years. Daryl, during your time at Rochester, John Marshall, you were pretty highly sought after recruit uh, with such schools like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Nebraska, showing a ton of interest. Tell us about what your recruiting experience was like in the mid-1980s and and how does it compare with the experience that student athletes are experiencing today as your own children participate at the Division I level in volleyball, football, and basketball? You know, it's interesting. Um, I get that question a lot, especially when my um, my kids were getting uh, recruited and it's, it hasn't really changed. The coaches are, you know, they're different. Some of the same age as me, some are younger, some are older. Um, age doesn't have much to do with it, but they're still like trying to find a connection, you know? So they always think, Hey, Daryl, you know, it's just, it's, it's not about me. It's about my young man. It's also about um, the mom a lot. Most of the smart coaches know that it's always good to, you know, the more you can get in with mom and make mom feel good about it, the better. And then it's the fit in the school and the system. And um, what, are, what are the other teammates like? And is that sport a priority? at that school. So I think, and then the other, here's the other thing, actually, probably the biggest thing is this, this thing, you know, the, the phone, you know, so the, the phone and what we're doing here, we couldn't, we weren't doing this, um, you know, 35 years ago when I was getting recruited, there was no such thing as um, laptops and cell phones and text messaging and things like that. So the social media and the phones, um, those things are much, much bigger than, um, we're not much bigger there. They exist and they are, I'd say probably maybe 30 or 30% of recruiting is like what a kid sees and what they feel like, Oh my God, look at the jerseys of that school. And that guy's got, you know, I don't know, 50,000 followers or something like that. So there's the social media um, certainly has something to do with it. Now, Daryl, obviously you're one of the more storied athletes in the university of Minnesota history, uh, being the all-time leading rusher for the football program. Now, when you look back at your time of, you know, going through the recruiting process and then also during your, just your tenure at the university of Minnesota, what really appealed to you about the school? And then also what were some of the biggest lessons or maybe impacts that, you know, your time at the university of Minnesota had on you as a, as a young man and then as a professional? Well, I think the, the piece that was the main reason I went to the university of Minnesota was because of, I didn't know what it was going to be like once I was there, you know, I felt, I felt good. I felt confident in my skills, but I didn't know they were going to translate to, the success I had, especially not the immediate success that I had. So I would want to go somewhere where if I never got to play football, that I could be a student and, and, and uh, an athlete and also have a career. And that's the main reason I chose uh, the University of Minnesota. And then Daryl, after your time at, at the University of Minnesota, you spent some time in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers. 
What was it like entering the NFL at that time? And what were some of the biggest challenges you endured in your first season? Uh, you know, interesting. I, I came into the NFL right at the end of the steroid era. So it was still, it was interesting, sometimes funny to like, I learned I needed to study film with offensive linemen. And they'd always kind of tell me stories about um, roid rage and how, quite honestly, how good it felt to be on steroids. They said, because every day felt like you were fresh and that you slept all night and that you just felt like a million bucks and you were stronger and stronger and stronger. So it was kind of fun and interesting to just hear those stories and playing in NFL is a, it's, it's completely different. You know, the, the level of skill, uh, the level of intelligence, and the level of speed is a significant step up from college as all college guys find, they go to the pros and their little tricks don't, don't work. You can't just outrun people like you could in college and you can't, um, you can't take days off, you know, like in college, you can kind of like, ah, I'm just, I'm not into it today. I'm just going to kind of float around. If you float around the NFL in practice, you'll get, you'll get your block knocked off, just plain and simple. You know, so you, when you want to relax, relax in the locker room, relax when you're on the sideline, you cannot relax on the field uh, in practice. And of course not in a game. So you, you, um, it's a higher level of intensity and skill and, um, and just coaching and awareness. Now, when you look at whether it be your, your playing days, either college or possibly in the NFL, or even look at your, some of your post-career endeavors, if you had to put everything together and say, these are some of the defining characteristics that all the successful teams or programs that you were a part of had in common, what do you think they were? Oh man, that's a really good question. It's hard to, I would say, um, the number one defining characteristic of a successful team is strong leadership and also leadership at the team level where you have players. And we had, um, I, I was lucky enough um, to be able to play with Reggie White for my last couple of years in the, uh, in the NFL. And, and Reggie was the leader of our team. You know, Reggie was leader on the team. Brett Favre was phenomenal. He was still kind of young. So he was a leader um, but not the same leader that uh, Reggie White. Reggie White was on the field leader. He was an off the field leader. He was a locker room leader. And he was um, probably one of the greatest men that I've ever met uh, in my life, just because of the human being that he had, that he, the human being that he was. So, I mean, the, the defining characteristics would be being a leader, also paying attention to detail. And I'd say um, being uh, selfless and willing to pay a sacrifice off the field as well as on the field. And I think you see that, and we see that now currently with um, Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady's not, um, you know, he's athletic and fast and smart and all that, but he also is, uh, he doesn't eat, um, you know, he doesn't eat chips. He doesn't pay, I mean, he doesn't have cheat days where he says, oh, I'm gonna have some ice cream and some Doritos and some salsa. He's like, no, he's like, no I'm good. I like, you know, the way I'm living and he, he makes tremendous sacrifices to, um, to play at the level that he plays. And if you're gonna have success in NFL, beyond one, two or three years, you have to make sacrifices to, um, to take care of your body to make it worthwhile. And you have to do the same thing in the film room. You know, you need to be one of the first people there. You need to spend that time to know not only your assignment, you need to know what the, the offense is trying to do and how you can be successful against that team that week. And that was what allowed me to get my, you know, we had coaching. Um, we, I fired Lindy Infante after my second year. And then anytime you fire a coach and everyone's job is just up for grabs. It doesn't really hardly matter who you are unless you're maybe a superstar quarterback. And even then they're like, wow, we're just, 
we're looking, we're going to draft a guy, you know, shoot, they drafted a guy, Aaron Rodgers is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. They still drafted a guy. They're like, well, we just, you never know what's going to happen. Well, okay. Well, maybe if you would have had another defensive lineman or defensive end, things might've been a little different for the Packers <laughs> this year, but I'm just saying, so we, you have that, you know, and that part to me is, um, you know, it's, it's always interesting. And I think that having success uh, in the NFL is the, is the little things and paying attention to detail and uh, knowing what your opponent is trying to do to you. Now, one of your post-playing endeavors over the last 20 years has been your involvement with uh, the U's football program as a radio analyst. From an analyst and alumni perspective, how would you evaluate the state of the program as we sit here today in late January? And what role has PJ Fleck played in getting the program to where it is today? That's interesting. I mean, think if you would ask me that question a year ago, after we beat, um, we won 11 and two, um, beat a, a really, really good Auburn team in a bowl game. Then you have this season, you have the pandemic, you have opt-outs, you have a, a very, very mediocre season. Um, you know, Coach Fleck has been rumored to have been interviewing for NFL jobs and interviewing for, you know, to potentially go to Tennessee. All that stuff's kind of quelled and looks like he's going to be here next year. So I feel like Coach Fleck is doing um, as good a job as he can do under the circumstances that he's in. Uh, I think next year will be a really, really telling year because I think, I don't think, I know he has all his players, he has his system, and he does a lot of really good things off the field. He does a lot of really good things on the field, and it just takes a while. And then this is a program that's been down for a while, you know, and it gets back to the middle and it kind of gets kicked down. And right now I feel like we're kind of in the middle, like kind of clawing to get back into, you know, like you see what Indiana did this year and you see what other teams are like, oh, I just want to have another year like what we had last year and win one or two or more of those games that we'd have and have that, you know, kind of a 12 and one uh, type of season. So I think it's, um, I feel like it's on the upswing and I want to believe, but I'm also probably drinking a little bit of the Kool-Aid. So sometimes it's hard for me to, you know, be impartial. Is there any specific areas when we look at the Gophers going the next year that you said, this is an area that they have to address? No, there's really no negotiating about it. If they address this area, it's going to be the best chance they're going to really kind of see that flip in the record to what we saw back in 2019. Yeah, I would say defensive line and then the secondary. You know, we're, I think defensive line has kind of like been mm, not, not great. And then also in the secondary, we lose Benjamin St. Juice and um, Coney Durer. So, I mean, I think it'll be, Really, really challenging, um, you know, and then quite honestly, not having Antoine Winfield this year. I mean, he was Antoine Winfield, um, Kamal Martin and Thomas Barber were tremendous, you know, um, football players. All, you know, Thomas Barber is probably the only reason he's not in NFL is because of the pandemic. You know, Kamal Martin's in NFL. Um, Carter uh, is in the Carter Coffin is in the NFL. Antoine Winfield's going to play in the Super Bowl, um, you know, and along with them, um, Tyler Johnson. So, I mean, there was a lot of talent that is not there um and that's difficult um to replace especially in an odd year this year so you had Rashad Bateman and then he's not going to play and then he is going to play and then you can't practice you have a new offensive coordinator he doesn't get to know the guys because he's trying to do this and this doesn't work as good as being in person and talking to a guy looking at a guy doing conditioning drills with someone you're just like kind of just well I'm just going to call plays until we get it figured out and then they cancel a game and they, you know, so it's a whole, it's a, it, it's a challenge, you know, so it, it's, it'll be hopefully, you know, this, you know, whatever vaccines and everything come, then maybe 
next year. Hopefully we can have a regular season and see if we can regain that momentum we had when we were 11 and two. Now, just maybe as an alumni or a former player, you can use kind of whatever perspective you want for this, but what do you believe is the logical next step that you would like to see in terms of overall growth for the program? Well, I think it's stability. And quite honestly, I think that it's winning some of those, um, those trophy games. Those are big games, you know, to, uh, to Minnesotans, to alumni, to fans. They say, you know what, if you lose every game, if you get the ax and if you get the pig, people be like, I don't, I don't really care. You know, I mean, and so, and, and the jug, you know, if you get the ax, the pig, the jug, two out of those three or three out of those three, you're, you're, you're deemed successful. You sell merchandise, people believe they're excited and you get rid of the, the, the hangover from the, uh, the Vikings from the four Super Bowls before I was barely born, you know? So it's, um, it's just trying to, you know, we just got to get past that. No, Daryl, what does it say for the, for the program when you see a guy like Mo Ibram come, coming back, right? I mean, he was, he was no doubt he was going to get drafted and no doubt he, he had the potential to, you know, better his life and, and probably make a lot of money in the NFL. And, and he chose to come back. Does that tell you kind of what the things in the culture that PJ's created where you have your best players wanting to come back, you know, and I mean, he, he surely he has to see Tyler Johnson and Anton Winfield, you know, getting ready to go play the Super Bowl in year one, you know? So, you know, I, to me as an outsider looking in, it's like, well, it, PJ's obviously doing a great job creating an environment that his best players still want to come back. No, I think that's one thing that PJ does. And I think we saw that with Rashad Bateman coming back this year. And I think without the COVID um, piece that I, he probably would have come back and had a, a very, very good year and probably had over a thousand yards. And, uh, you know, he still has one of the greatest receivers in the history of the University of Minnesota easily in the top 10. So I feel like Mo has um, that same potential. It, it tells me more about Mo almost than it does about, I mean, I think Coach Fleck is a really, he's a great guy. He's a tremendous recruiter and um, makes um, the young men feel really good about everything that they're doing. But Mo's a special um, young man. He's, um, you know, very, um, family oriented. He's very teammate oriented. He gets along very, very well with his offensive linemen and the rest of his teammates. And he's a, uh, he's one of those quiet leaders on the team. And I look for him to have, you know, a, you know, a 12 to 1500 yard season next year. I well, kind of shifting gears here a little bit with you, Daryl, one of the organizations you're deeply involved with is Boulder options. And so with that organization to maybe some of our listeners in, in Minnesota or just even the upper Midwest that are not familiar with Boulder Options, tell us a little bit about the mission and then why connecting people and developing mentors has really been such a passion of yours. Well, I mean, I've been with Boulder Options now for 26 years. Um, the organization has been around for 28, almost 29 years. I was there in the early years as a volunteer and a speaker. And when I got done playing ball, I started volunteering there and it grew to a uh, full-time position. So our, our mission is to introduce kids to a healthy lifestyle through running, biking, tutoring, and homework. And I've been to birthdays, graduations, um, uh, you know, uh, I've had, I've held babies of kids that have gone through our program where they just say, I just wanted to come back and say how great the, my mentor was and how great my program coordinator was. And I want to take a picture in the buildings. I remember when I was running around here and when I was, 10 or 11 years old and I was just a knucklehead, but the, my mentor and my program coordinator director, they taught me about, you know, goals and a healthy lifestyle and the importance of an education and physical activity. And just the, probably the most important thing is just having a caring adult involved in your life. And we all have had 
um, coaches or that teacher that kind of, you know, sees you throw a cookie down the hall or do something stupid. They're like, Hey, come here for a second. You know, and they talk to you and you're like, I probably shouldn't do that. You know? So um, yeah, that's the, um, you know, kind of the impetus and that's how I got involved with Boulder options. And I'm, you know, I'm still doing it. Now, what are the ways coaches listening to the podcast can become part of the Boulder Options or, you know, take some of the core ideals from Boulder Options and use them to create their own mentorship programs? Well, I think the number one thing for me, for, for coaches, and I've done, you know, some coaching and probably the reason I'm not a full-time coach right now is because of my um, number one kids and not wanting to move all the time. And also because of the broadcasting, I've been blessed enough to be able to um, broadcast and be around sports and uh, at a really, really high level for the last 20 plus years. And I would say the number one thing for a, um, a coach is that the kids need to know you care. A young lady or a young man will, they'll set a pick, they'll take a charge They'll try to block someone that weighs, you know, 50 pounds more than them if they know that you care and if they understand why they're doing it. The one thing that I learned in trying to, I was coaching and trying, hey, here's X's and O's. And I said, if they don't understand why they're doing it or the importance of not letting someone get to the edge in youth football or not letting someone do their favorite move in the basketball, say, hey, you know what, just sit on his left hand because he actually can't go right. Sit on his right hand because he can't go, he can't go the other direction. So let me tell you how you can be successful. And they get there like, oh my God, I have trust. You have trust and you have caring. Then you have, um, you know, an athlete or a young lady or young man that'll, I'll you know, say run through walls for you, but is excited and wants to be at practice and is um, not just say, hey, get on the line and run a line drill or let's go. You know, that's, not, you know, that's not, that's not coaching. We got to do some conditioning, but we need to, um, you know, we need to make it fun and engaging. Last question I have for you, Daryl, um, is kind of just, I want you to look back at your football playing career. You can even throw in your broadcasting career as well. When historians look back on the career and the person of Daryl Thompson and, and you want them to define your legacy, how would you want your legacy to be defined? Well, I would say um, someone that cared. Uh, also someone that I have saying that I, um, talk about at Boulder Options on the back of our shirts is all it takes is all you got. And I'd like to think that my teammates, um, my friends, um, people that I played football with and people that I work with um, would not question that I'd given everything that I have because I typically do. 